Hi, listeners. This is VP, producer for The B Word Unpacked, which is hosted by Goodstock Consulting and powered by Do Work Media. I'm here to tell you that the episode you are about to listen to is centered around a firsthand experience of someone showing symptoms of COVID-19. Each member of Goodstock Consulting, along with the guests for today's episode, practice social distancing by recording from their homes. This information is brought to you without intention to incite fear, but with the goal to effectively inform you of the reality of this pandemic. If you are listening with children, I ask that you take a moment to listen first before sharing with them. Without further ado, you're listening to the B Word Unpacked, brought to you by Goodstock Consulting. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to the B Word Unpacked with Goodstock Consulting. This is the second of our COVID-19 episodes. If you haven't already, tune in to episode one for a rundown of some very useful information about the coronavirus pandemic. And of course, it wouldn't be the B word unpacked if we didn't highlight how this pandemic is really affecting our black and brown folks. We're also very fortunate to have a guest on today's recording who will share her own firsthand experience being tested in NYC for COVID-19. And we all know NYC is the epicenter for this pandemic. New York actually accounts for nearly half of the COVID cases in the country right now. So thank you so much, Rakithia, for being online with us in the midst of this crisis. Um, But there is still so much to learn, and it's so important that we stay on top of it, y'all. We've got to be safe because when we are safe, when we're home, when we're social distancing, we're really keeping so many people alive, especially our healthcare workers. Um, so we hope that you're able to learn something from today and that we can help you out just a little. So, guys, let's unpack the coronavirus. All right, listeners, it is my pleasure to introduce you to Rakisala Allen. When I was in grad school at New York University, I joined her church. Shout out Convent Avenue Baptist Church on 140th Street up in Harlem. Shout out Convent. <laughs> And Rakisala, we, we really are so grateful to have you join us today, especially in light of the fact that you've been battling some symptoms that sound very much so like coronavirus. And so to kick it off, Rakisala, please tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. I want you to share, you know, who you are, where, you're li- where you live, a little bit about what you do, and in terms of where you live, kind of describe the apartment and the setup so people can really get a feel for what you're experiencing. I am Rakitha Allen. I am the director of the Hamilton Green Senior Center, and we are housed in the Convent Avenue Baptist Church. They're our sponsor, Mm -hmm. along with the City of New York, and I am also an associate minister there. It has been my church for as long as I could remember, And so I wear kind of dual roles, dual hats there. And as the director of the senior center, our primary function in many instances is to feed the seniors. So we serve breakfast and lunch every day um, from 8.30 to 10 is breakfast and 12 to 1.32 is lunch. And on average, we see about 150 people a day. In some cases, it's more. Some cases, it's less. Uh, And recently we switched to grab and go meals to keep everybody safe and maintain the social distancing. And so they would come grab their meals and they would go. And we understood the city dubbed us essential workers because for many of them, this is the only place they can eat. So Mm -hmm. we, we've been there and we've been serving them and we just kept going. And um, it's been interesting to see 
how many people are willing to risk not being safe or not social distancing just because they crave interaction. A lot of them, right. we had a hard time getting them to take their meals and go. They wanted to sit and fellowship. And we were like, no, we can't have congregants. And they're, they're really yeah. struggling with the isolation. I think that's been the hardest part to watch uh, as a director is watching them, knowing that there'll be people who may or may not eat and watching mm. people struggle with the isolation. That's been really mm -hmm. hard. Um, I, right. live, I live in Brooklyn normally, but I decided to come in quarantine with my mom. She lives in an old pre-war building. It's sort of like one of those really huge high ceiling apartments. And um, she's on one end of the apartment, I'm on the other. And I'm wearing a mask around her because uh, she's 70 or 74, today actually. Mm. And um, I don't want her to be exposed. I'm not touching her, I'm not engaging with her outside of, you know, hey, you okay, girl? And she's on one side, I'm on the other side of the apartment. And um, that's also been a blessing and a, a difficult thing because it's really good to be able to spend a lot of time, you know, in the, in the same environs as her, but it's difficult to not be able to hug her or that kind of stuff yeah. is a little rough. Um, Especially on her, it's her birthday. birthday. Yeah. 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 Her birthday. Oh. yeah, today is her birthday. So I sang to her about this that. morning and, and she's been, She's been a real trooper in terms of she, as soon as they said, don't go out, she has done it. She's been in the house now almost three weeks. Yeah. So, and. Mm. Uh, it, it, yeah. And, and keep, you know, Kelly said that you mentioned that you haven't been feeling well. Like, can you describe what your symptoms have been? Okay. Um, in truth, I think I might've been symptomatic before I realized it. Because, um, you mm -hmm. know how we do, we kind of feel a tick of pain mm -hmm. here and we just keep going because we got to work or we got to take care of something or some. So we ignore the signs. I had a series of really awful headaches um, before I was clear that I was symptomatic. And I thought they were odd because they were really, really painful, like blinding. But mm -hmm. I ignored them, took some Tylenol and kept moving. Um, and then a couple of days later, I got the diarrhea and the sore throat and I got the low grade fever. Um, and the low grade fever kind of felt like I would just get hot and then it would go away. So I'm a woman of a certain age, so I kind of ignored that. Um, and then the worst thing has been for me is the pain in my chest. It feels as if yeah. something is sitting on my chest. I really am struggling to breathe. Um, I've got the. Is this still I, on? Is this ongoing right now, Akita? Yeah, it's ongoing right now. I'm. Thank God, I'm home. I'm laying down, but whenever I get up to move, it's it's a chore. It's not a simple thing, and um, the breathing. Akita, I have a. I'm sorry. I, I got yeah. a quick question. Sure. Are you prone to headaches? So, like you said, you had headaches before, like the more traditional symptoms started. Are you prone to headaches? So that's why it was easy to just kind of take a Tylenol and let it go. Or... Um, yes, I'm. I, I'm hypertensive, so every once in a while I get a gotcha. headache because of the hypertension. But this was okay. different. It was really, really mm -hmm. painful. And okay. I said, to, I said to uh, my coworker, I said this headache is different. And she said, Well, you need to go see your doctor. But at that point they were encouraging us not to go to the doctor 
um, right. unless you were clearly symptomatic and then they wanted you to go to the ER and not the doctor's mm -hmm. office. So right. I ignored all of and, those kind of symptoms. And w when did your, just so I can get a, a timing of things, when did your first headache start? How many days ago? And, about, um, and go ahead. About seven, seven days ago. Seven days. So mm -hmm. sun, no, and you are still like nine, mm -hmm. nine days ago was a Friday. Okay. And you're still feeling like right now it's hard for you to breathe and your chest hurts. Yes. My chest hurts terribly. It feels like there's Have something you called, sitting on me. Right. Have you called your doctor? Yes. I called my doctor on Monday and explained that I was being, feeling symptomatic. And he said, the only thing I can tell you to do is go home and isolate. He asked what? that. That's what he said. He said, go home and isolate. And then he said, perhaps you should see if there is a testing center that will test you. And I said, I don't, right. you know, can you recommend where should I start? Call 311. Right. So I called 311 and they keep you on phone for almost two hours, literally right. passing from right. person to person. Right. And ultimately their suggestion was the same thing. There's no place that would test me because I'm not sick enough. And, now, so on and, Tuesday, and here's the question that at, at my, on Monday, though, your, your symptoms were headache, correct? Headache and the breathing. And the breathing. And the breathing. But was, yeah. it, was it the chest pain, though? Was it they feeling like yes. something is sitting on my chest? Yes. Okay. That's what made me mm -hmm. call. And you, and you still chest. had the low grade fever, right? Right. So you had That's enough signs and symptoms to say you should at least be tested. But yet still right. everyone said hunker down Absolutely. and divert right. you to another person. Absolutely. And so on Tuesday. Why do you think that's so? Do you think it has anything to do with well, hold, hold on limited one second, resources wanna, in the city? I kind of want to hear what happened on Tuesday because it sounds like something changed. No. Well, I called okay, on ahead. Tuesday. I called my primary care again. And she said, you have to go to the emergency room. Right. You know, she mm -hmm. said, you've got a lot of underlying issues. I need you to go to the emergency room. And right. so I went to the emergency room and... That was about a 14-hour ordeal, only to be sent home right. without being tested. Um, oh, still not tested? No. I'm, they, yeah. they, After they said I'm not hours. sick enough. 14 hours. Did they give, outside of not being sick enough, did you sense that it was, we have a limited amount of supplies, or did you feel like, they said it. okay, it's black woman, sensitive. go away? They didn't even, they, they didn't even entertain me. I kept saying, my doctor sent me here. Mm -hmm. I don't come to the emergency right. room. My doctor sent right. me. I deserve to be tested. And he pretty right. much said, we don't have enough tests and you're not sick enough. Mm -hmm. And right. I got the sense that it was sort of go away. Um, you people are not sick anyway. You know, that kind of mm -hmm. you don't take your illnesses seriously. Um, and I tried very hard to be un understanding and advocate for myself, but they would not right. budge. They would not budge. I have a, and, and I have a question for you. So what, did the, so, what did the triage area look like? Were you, um, did they give you a mask? Did no, they, they didn't no. give me a mask, okay. no. And, and, how, the and how full area was, was that? Very, it was pretty crowded, but they managed to make right. us distant. They kept us away from each other. They had portable, um, vital machines and whatnot that they rolled to us while we were waiting to be seen. So everyone kind right. of got private attention 
and everyone was distant apart. We were all at least six feet apart. Mm-hmm. And, and they, 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 they did take did my temperature. Ever... It was yeah. 100.6 at first, and then they gave me Tylenol, and it went down to 98.6. Right. And then it spiked right. up. That's just masking it. Right. Did they ever take you back to the, did they take you to the exam room? Yes, they did. They took me to the exam room. They ran an IV because they thought the fluids would make me feel better. Um, And they also did three tests to rule out a heart attack because of the chest pain I was in having. So they Mm -hmm. tested my troponin levels and turns out I didn't have a heart attack, but that, in my mind, was all the more reason to test me because my chest was hurting so bad. For sure. Right. For sure. And did, did they, they test do you for flu? Or... Nope. They didn't do anything. They gave me the fluids. They offered Tylenol. And that's it. Rakeem Salah, this, a lot of this whole story is incredible. You know, I, I got to say, to our listeners um, who don't know Rakeem well personally, I just want to point out, you know, she's dialing into this call literally from her sick bed. She is laid out on the sick bed. Her voice is so much heavier and huskier than usual and airier, so I know how much this is impacting her. You know, Rakifala, just hearing what you're talking right now, hearing what you're going through, can you share with our listeners, you know, what the process of trying to advocate for yourself. And as people could hear at the top of the call, you know, you run a center for seniors, you know, you're a minister. What has this felt like for you as an educated black woman, the process of trying to advocate for your whole healthcare and how has this experience, how has this made you feel most importantly? It's been very difficult. It's been demoralizing. It's almost as if there's no acknowledgement of the work we do and the reason that we work as hard as we do to take care of other people. And they understand that as essential workers, you're more vulnerable. And that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter in terms of treatment. It doesn't matter in terms of paying even attention to your symptoms. I almost felt like I was bothering them. It was Mm -hmm. really um, disappointing. That's a good word. It was disappointing. And the more I talked and the more I tried to get them to just listen. They were kind of like, come back if you need a ventilator. That's essentially what they said. They said that we're only admitting people who are two or three days away from death. Mm. Yeah. We're so, I'm so sorry. I, that cough just brought um, tears to my eyes because that's, that's exactly what we hear on the news, you know? And to walk into a healthcare space and to say, I am experiencing everything that you guys have been speaking about on these lists and you still be turned away with Tylenol. It's disheartening. Mm-hmm. And as a healthcare administrator, my heart mm-hmm. is broken and I'm so sorry for the way you've been treated. And so I right. want, and, and that's why I keep trying to justify and try to think of, well, maybe they're trying to conserve because this isn't normal. This is not normal in healthcare, mm-hmm. and this is not how we operate. And I feel like we are sincerely operating on a stress system. And if it's that broken for you, imagine how many other people it's been broken for and how mm-hmm. um, that has been my other this experience concern. is just one of many across yeah. the country. And yeah. I'm so That's sorry. So I'm so sorry. I have insurance. 
I have insurance. I have a team of good doctors. I have access technically to medical services. When I think about my seniors, many of whom are not homeless, but they don't have steady living because of the rents and all of that, I wonder how they're going to get treated or how they're going to get even know that they're symptomatic. We had a couple of um, people who come in, who came in during the week that we were, I was there. And she said, I'm staying at a hotel and I need this food. Mm-hmm. But she was sneezing, open sneezing and coughing. And I kept thinking she's going to infect someone, you know, but she needed the food. She didn't have any other option. And so I wonder what healthcare looks like for people who can't even get a meal. You know, mm-hmm. I'll tell you what it, it I'll t- I tell you what it looks like. It looks dismal. And um, and this is why, you know, with, with Gustav last week, um, we put out a podcast trying to talk to our people and trying to talk to all people. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying that these are the things that we can do to try to keep each other safe because what's happening in, in cities like yours, um, Rakitha, is unfortunately it is one of those situations of where literally the, the healthcare workers, the way they spoke to you, for one, was completely out of line because even if mm-hmm. you don't have the resources, you at least have a heart to be able to tell people, yes. I empathize with you. I sympathize with you. I see that you can't breathe, and it and it pains me. Um, but um, the problem that we're running into is that, sorry, is that um, we're literally running out of medical resources. I and see. so it is one of these things of if you come into the hospital, if you're able to walk and talk in certain cities, if you're able to walk and talk, that means that you're still alive. And your body is still fighting and your body is still trying to get over this infection. And there's, you know, tens of thousands that's coming in behind you in the door who literally can't say hello because they are that far off the cliff. And so it's one of these circumstances of where the reason why you're um, probably in the waiting room for 14 hours is that is the system is just that overran that, um, you know, right now, currently, 20% of all the people that's hospitalized for this disease, and, and remember, like I said, your symptoms, how severe they sound, mm-hmm. that lets mm-hmm. you know just how sick the other end of the spectrum is. And 20% of those people are actually healthcare workers themselves. And so what we're finding is that we're getting, if we are, as far as your healthcare providers, just imagine what happens to the rest of the public. And that's why it's imperative when I, when I scream at the top of my lungs of we must follow these rules. We must follow these rules because this disease doesn't care if you're rich, poor, black, white, Christian, Muslim. It does not care. It, it, it will affect at least one out of every three Americans is wow. we're estimating will have this. Yeah. One out of three. Yeah. And so, so I have one thing that I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, that's fine. Yeah, and one thing they published um, about yesterday is that COVID-19 in just these two weeks has claimed more lives in New York City than homicides did all of last year. All so of that oh just my. volume. Yes. Right. Yes. Last, last night alone, it just and this is across America, but last night alone, 525 Americans died. The day before that, it was 421 Americans. Our numbers are skyrocketing, and that's why it's particularly upsetting for me because it's people like Rakitula that are trying to keep people alive, that are that are mm-hmm. risking their lives to say, 
I know you, you won't be able to eat if I'm not there. And we only need three things to keep mm-hmm. us alive, right? Food, water, and shelter. So mm-hmm. she's trying her best to give her life so that other people can live. So when I see people being completely selfish and going on spring break tours or they're going, I want to go and, and take mm. a, a flight over to Hawaii just because I can, that type of selfishness is what puts people like Rakitha life in danger because she can't get what she's given to others, which is a chance to live. And so we have to be serious. I know this is supposed to be an uh, edutaining podcast, but it's stories like this that we see every day in the hospital and the emotional toll that it takes on not only us, but on her. She can't breathe Mm -hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. And so we have to take this serious. This is not about you wanting to have a picnic with your family outside. <laughs> Stay in the house. What about your, I'm sorry, I was going to ask about your other um, employees, um, our people that you work with, or maybe even volunteers. Have they experienced the same signs or symptoms? Or are they sharing the same, um, same well, issues? Our staff, it's a staff of about eight. And what mm-hmm. is unique with them is that five of our seniors, our staff represent seniors. So they're seniors themselves. Our head cook is a senior, our two of our drivers and one of our maintenance people. So I sort of immediate, not immediately, but per, perhaps after the first week, we put them on a staggered schedule so that nobody had to come in every day. Um, right. mm-hmm. And that, that would lessen their chances of exposure and then we had one that we could allow to work from home so she was she's been working from home and I and the uh, head cook were the ones who were going in every day so Mm -hmm. because we wanted to make sure that the people were getting the food but we did everything we could to minimize the exposure of the staff um, and not even and I think that's, sure that's, all that's, the people get the food, but even as a director, you want to make sure that people can work because if they don't work, they don't get paid. And then right. they do have a food issue or housing mm-hmm. issue. And so just as a leader in your institution, there are so many things. It's not just about the end user <laughs> or the clients we're trying to serve, but it's about the people who look to us for security for their exactly. own families. You know, mm-hmm. that's, exactly. that's stressful within itself and making that hard decision of who gets to stay home and who comes in and, Oh, I'm so sorry, Rakita. And that has been the I hardest think it, thing. I think it's right. I think it speaks volumes too that we know Rakita is a a very mature, a, a very conscientious person who says I'm going to follow all the steps. And this shows mm-hmm. you, and I hope the listeners are listening and, and understand just how contagious this thing is. It's ten times mm-hmm. more dangerous than the flu. Don't don't think that this is oh I'm just going to get the flu. It's more contagious than the flu. It's more deadly than the flu. And I know she did the right thing about trying to protect not only herself, but her, co- her co-workers, because you can hear about how she cares about mm-hmm. knowing who is high risk and trying to make sure they do everything to keep them out of harm's way. But this just shows right. you that it only takes one person to come into contact mm-hmm. that is infected. And the entire group of people that you know can and mm-hmm. will be exposed will be. and the impact that it has on their body. Yeah. Absolutely. Rikisola, doctor, I, I want to be, go, go ahead, My doctor kept telling me when I was asking her, if it, you know, do I really need to go to the ER? I don't want to sit there for 10 hours. She said, Rikisola, this is not a flu. It is deadly right. and I need you to go. She kept trying right. to get us to understand that this is not anything that we've seen before. 
And right. so she said it's unprecedented. And she's she's like, and you, because of your heart issues and all of that, we can't treat yeah. you at home. You've got to go to the hospital. Mm-hmm. And so and, I, and I would echo that. I would echo that right now, Rakitala, um, in saying that I know they turned you away the first time. And, and even if you chose a different hospital, I would first, I would call them first. This is what I tell everyone. Call the institution first mm-hmm. and tell them I'm having these symptoms of where I can't breathe. If I'm, if I'm not laying flat, I can no longer breathe. I have chest pain. Describe it as if you are trying to paint a picture. Okay. okay. And, and they yeah. should be able to tell you whether or not they can accept you right now. Because some, some places may say, literally, we have zero beds, right? We know that, um, that Trump has sent a, well, the United States, let me say that, has sent a Navy ship to go and try to offload some of the hospitals in New York. Mm-hmm. So there may be some beds that are going to be opening up. But you call each and every hospital that's around there, 60, yeah. there's 60 hospitals in, in, in New York City. You okay. call each and every last one of them and say, I can't not, as soon as we get off this run, I almost want to end this conversation now. Yeah, that's why we're trying to jump in. That, I want to jump right, in to do um, that. Right, but, but, yeah. all, but, you call, but you call them and you do this with people. For everyone that's listening, if you're having these same issues of where you feel like you cannot breathe if you're not sitting or if you're not laying completely down flat, if you feel like there's pressure on your chest, that is the time. At that point, you should have been seen probably before now, but mm-hmm. we know, like I said, that resources are, are limited. So you call each and every hospital, you tell them what your symptoms are, or you call 911 and you have them come and pick you up and take you to the right. hospital because you, you, you right. shouldn't be driving anyway. If you can't breathe while you're late, uh, yeah. when you're sitting up, then you definitely can't drive and get somewhere. Call so you call the ambulance yeah. and get them to take you to the hospital and you tell them, I cannot breathe if I am not if I'm sitting up, I feel like something is on my chest. I feel like I'm having a heart attack. And even if I'm not showing signs of the heart attack, that means I need lab work to see what is going on with my body. And I demand to be mm-hmm. tested. And if you need to call me, you have my cell phone number? No. I'll get it to her. Well, I'll, I'll get it to her. Okay. Then you call me on three-way and let me talk to the admitting physician myself. Okay. But you, you should, especially if you have your elderly mom at home, that's right. as, as much as much care as you're taking to, to make sure you're staying away from her, that mm-hmm. still puts her at risk. And, at and right risk. now we just need to make sure that you are okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And on that note, Rakithala, I want to thank you. And before we have you log off of the call, um, Rakithala, you have been a rock. Um, you have been so solid throughout this whole situation. As a minister, putting your minister hat on, you know, what words do you want to leave our listeners as you continue to battle through this and as our country continues to battle through this pandemic? What do you want to leave the listeners with? We've been, I've been looking at social media and they've kind of started a he's got the whole world in his hand challenge. And mm-hmm. um, the words to that keep being a, a comfort to me because God really does have this in hand. It doesn't feel like it and it doesn't seem that way, but I believe that God is going to take care of us. I believe Mm -hmm. in spite of how terrible we are feeling and how hard it is, that God is still God. And that there are people who are going to get to experience gratitude on new levels. And we're going to experience the joy of fellowship and family differently. And we're going to learn 
that the things that are important to us don't really have anything to do with material things. You know, right. we're all we're all going to come away with a whole new set of appreciation for just being able to live and love and be in company. So that's that's what I hope will encourage us because it's very little to be encouraged about when you look around. But I hope underneath it, we can remember and, and believe that God really does have us in hand. Amen. Rakeetha Love. Rakeetha Love, thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining us. We are deeply yeah. grateful and deeply appreciative. Please hang up and go take care of yourself. We're thank you all for having me. Right. And Be call well. me, I mean that. I, mean I will. Call me. I will. You all stay safe. Um, real quick, right, real quick, as well. real quick. I know I'm just the producer, but I just I have to say that I really appreciate you being on. I I I don't normally yeah. chime in, but I I just have to thank you. That's Vaughn, y'all. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Thank this you for having me. Yeah. I I. Yeah. Thank you, Rakeetha. Okay. Be well, girls. Bless you. Be well. You too. You Bye-bye. too. Be well. Yeah. I don't have anything okay. more. Take a I I have no. I have no entertainment yeah. for this episode. I have no, yeah. I, I have no, there's no way I could even talk about the struggles that I feel because I'm being forced to homeschool or because mm-hmm. I have to quarantine or social distance right. after hearing this woman's plight yeah. and knowing that she does not have access to what she needs. So I'm, I'm good. Yeah. I hope this I hope this oh, touched yeah. our listeners the way it has touched me this morning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I hope it, so I less. hope people realize that when they're making decisions, when you're choosing when you're choosing to think of only yourself, you literally have a ripple effect. This thing is is spreading worse than anything we have seen before. And I keep on on Twitter, I'll put every day. It's been a hundred people that just a week ago, it was 10 people have died and then it went to 30 people have died and then all of a sudden it zoomed up and literally every two days we're doubling how many people are dying and so today last night it was 525 people by tuesday we will be burying 800 to a thousand people in one day and that's and that's what people need to know is that it's people that you will know somebody who dies from this they're estimated between 200,000 to 1.7 million people will not see December. That's the truth. And so we can try to sugarcoat it and we can put a jingle on it and we can we can laugh and clap and, and let's post social media pictures of us doing who's doing the best TikTok video. We need to get serious about this. The first thing I like to do is dispel some myths, right? So I'm gonna give you three the top three things that I don't want to hear anybody say ever again. One is that this disease is an old people disease. After listening to Rakitola, you know that is simply not true. The truth is that between of, of the people that are in the hospital right now who are struggling to breathe, struggling to live, 30% of those people are between the ages of 20 and 44. So, and keep in mind, the only people that get admitted to the hospital are if you're on the other side of it. Like Rakitola said, she has symptoms where she feels like she can't breathe right now. So the people that are actually in the hospital, these are people that now need a breathing tube and they are struggling to live. And they're between the ages, again, of 20 to 44 years old. Matter of fact, yesterday we had our first infant in the United States that died, 10 months old. All right. So we have to take this thing seriously. 
The second myth I hear is that black people are, are immune. Now, yes, we are a powerful people, but guess what? This disease does not care if you're black, white, rich, poor, Christian, Muslim. It does not care. And the truth of the matter is, if you're looking at the outcome coming out of New Orleans, I'm, I'm sure y'all saw on Facebook this picture going around, this DJ, young DJ, died, black man. You see a picture of this um, young woman who was a young black woman that was a principal in New York City dying from this thing. They, do, they are not here with us today. So, no, just because you're black doesn't mean that you can't get this um, virus and you need to take it seriously. The third myth that I hear is that as long as you go around the people that you know that you're safe, and this actually might be the most dangerous thing of all because you hear about, you know, I saw a, an interview of this kid on the, um, on the beach during spring break, and they asked him, him and his four groups of uh, friends, or four friends, and they said, why are you guys here on spring break? And he said, well, we're brothers. We, we, we've been through everything together, and we're not sick. And the truth of the matter is it takes one person taking, touching one doorknob are speaking to one person who maybe laughs really hard and that saliva that you can't see lands right on your lip and you are now infected. And you and your brotherhood can spread that illness throughout the entire group. And you're gonna be burying the entire group. And we have to take this serious because this virus is taking us seriously. So what are the things that you can do? One, do not leave your home unless you need and have to be out of your home. And I don't mean just these coronavirus parties that I keep on seeing on social media that is really, quite honestly, pissing me off because that's incredibly selfish. But if you don't need to leave your home to go get your hair done, don't go to your cousin's house because you want to go and hang out and y'all want to watch the same movie. You need to FaceTime each other because, again, on the way to your car, and between you leaving your house and getting to her house, you can pick up something that can kill them. If you have a grandparent that you need to see or a, a, um, a parent that you need to see, that age population is the highest risk of dying. I know you want to see them and have dinner, but you need to FaceTime these people because you inadvertently, even though you don't have any symptoms, 80% of the people that get this disease or get this virus won't really have much of symptoms at all, right? And you may not have symptoms, but like Rakitala said, she feels like she probably got infected before she started to present with symptoms on Monday. So you may not be showing any signs at all. And you go over to someone's house and you can give them a virus that you won't be able to see them this Christmas. So that's, that's number one. Number two, washing your hands. I can't stress this enough. Like I said earlier, the coronavirus can live. We, we've just released studies. I think it was on March the 17th. Um, there was an article that came out that said that coronavirus can live on plastic and stainless steel for upwards of three days. So when you're going to the grocery store, remember that as you're grabbing these items, this ketchup or whatever, whatever you're picking up from the grocery store, know that if someone was coughing, that it is on that plastic. And if they just coughed on it five minutes ago, then it's on your hand. And if you touch anything near your face, you can get infected and you don't even know it. You don't have to even be it. That's how contagious this thing is. You don't even have to be face to face with somebody and get this virus. Stay in your house. Number three, do not touch your face. And so oftentimes I see people now on the news wearing, uh, wearing the simple mask, you know, the, the surgical mask. And to be honest with you, that does not filter out the virus at all. The virus is too small. It could go straight through the, um, the, the mask itself. But 
one thing that I can say a benefit of is that if you have that mask on, then you probably won't go and touch your hand to your mouth. And so hopefully that can keep you from getting a large dose of the virus. And if somebody is talking to you, if they cough or if they sneeze or if they laugh really hard, because anything that makes your diaphragm kind of move causes fluid to leave your, your mouth. So if you have that mask on, hopefully it can block a, the large droplets from being able to get inside of your body. But know that if in all those things, there are some people that have to leave their house because of work or you have an emergency. If you do, just practice the things of staying at least six feet away from someone. So if they do cough or sneeze or, or laugh really hard that those droplets can't get on your face, washing your hands throughout the time that you're out, keeping a bottle of hand sanitizers in, in your pocket to keep your hands clean throughout the time. When you come back into your home, take your shoes off because you could have stepped in someone's spit and tracked that all throughout your house, right? You got to think on that level. If you're bringing items into your house that weren't in your house before, wiping these items down before you put them in the, into your refrigerator, for instance, cleaning off the counter of everything that is touched. And then if you have any symptoms at all, you stay your butt away from everybody else, period. I don't want to hear... And like what Tithala said, some people are complaining uh, they present with headaches. Some people present with their hearing feels a little funny or a little off. Some other people have um, difference in taste. It's, it's an ear, nose, and throat kind of presentation. Like their, their taste buds are slightly different or their ears are popping or they have a really bad headache. Some people don't have a fever at all. Okay, I want to, like, like what Tithala said, her fever was kind of on and off and she attributed that to being, you know, later on in, in her womanhood years of menopause. But some people don't have a fever at all. So if you're having any interactions that can potentially put yourself in danger, you may not know that you're infected. So what I tell everyone, including myself, is I haven't been out of my house in going on two weeks. I stay myself away from everyone because I know I'm high risk because I'm in the hospital. So I don't want to contaminate anyone else, even though I know I, I don't feel like I have any symptoms at all. I can be a carrier. And so it is up to me to keep everyone else safe. So do your part. We all have a part to play in this. It's not just the healthcare workers. It's not just the people like Orkitla who's trying to volunteer her life to keep other people alive and keep them fed. It's not just our police officers and, and people that have to be in place to keep us some type of structure to our society. Everybody, including the people that are at home, you have a part to play. Be responsible and do it. That's all I got to say. And we thank you all for tuning in. This is our second episode on COVID-19. We'll be sure to update as, as need be. We want you to take the words of Rakithala. Those are the most important words that we've played on any podcast so far. Keep her in your prayers. Absolutely. Keep her mom in your prayers. And, um, yeah. And we'll be here. Send us your questions. We'll be sure to answer them. Y'all stay safe. We're stronger together, good people. Let's keep unpacking. Let's keep unpacking. I thank you for listening, and I hope that if you have any questions regarding this episode's content, that you will contact the ladies at Goodstock Consulting. Go to goodstockconsulting.com, DM them on Instagram at the B Word Unpacked, email them at info at goodstockconsulting.com, or message them on Facebook at Goodstock Consulting. We each hold a social responsibility in this pandemic, and I hope that this message has convinced you of that. Thank you for your time.